Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let, them to get, let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by, peace, by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. The coastlands of Sina are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbour and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, says as the soldiering, it is good, and they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Well, thank you for your welcome. Great to be uh, with you again. I understand churches who invite me once, but when they invite me back, I think, wow, that's a very generous church. So uh, you are very generous. Good to be with you. It was Christmas Day in the year 1939. Us Brits were just three and a bit months into a war that would last some six years, during which there'd be more than half a million UK fatalities. During his Christmas Day broadcast, the late King George VI quoted from a poem that had been written 30 years earlier, and here are the words. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand in the hand of God. That will be to you better than light and safer than a known way. As we are about to embark on a new year with all its uncertainties, I thought I'd choose a Bible verse in which God speaks to us for our encouragement. And it's in the reading of Isaiah 41 that we read just a few minutes ago. And it's verse number 10. And this is what it says. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I don't know whether you noticed, but there's something about that verse which tells us that it wasn't written as an isolated verse to be hung up on the wall like some kind of mantra or rosary to be mindlessly repeated. If you read from the NIV, you would find that that verse began with a little word, so, showing the verses linked to the preceding ones, 
We've read from the ESV, and you'll notice the verse doesn't start with a capital letter. It's the back end of a sentence that begins at verse 8. It links the verse strongly with what goes before it. It's on account of the previous verses that Isaiah gives us the encouragement of these words in verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So while the verse might look good hanging on the wall on its own, it actually wasn't written as an isolated statement. It depends upon what it's written in the earlier verses. After all, we want to know what sort of God this is who's speaking to us in verse 10, don't we? So let's pick up the flow as we go back from verse 1 of the chapter, where in verses 1 to 7, we discover that this God is the Lord of history. In Isaiah chapter 41, God's people are facing an unknown future. In verses 1 to 5, they're nearing the end of their exile in Babylon, though they don't know it. It had been long and arduous, but it was coming to an end. However, would things be any better when another aggressor, another superpower, made their Babylonian tormentors bite the dust? The new order of things will be headed up, verse 2, by one from the east. We discover a little later that this one is Cyrus of Persia. Cyrus was a swift and impressive warrior. When he came to power, Persia was subject to media. Ten years later, he killed the Median king and founded the Persian Empire. In the next few years, he expanded his territory dramatically from Turkey, as we know it now in the west, right across to northwest India. By 540 BC, he'd conquered much of the Babylonian Empire, and in 539, his general took the city of Babylon without a fight. Many of Babylon's inhabitants welcomed him to relieve them of the grim life under Belshazzar, but this happy event would have been unknown to Isaiah's readers when he wrote. All they'd have known is that another ruthless conqueror was on the move to turn their lives upside down once more. Where would it all end? Where was God in all of this? And verses 1 to 4 tell us he was in charge of the whole crisis. As we get into 2024, we are also facing our own uncertainties, aren't we? Internationally, how will things go in the Ukraine and in Gaza? How will they turn out over the next 12 months? Will further wars commence elsewhere? USA and Iran are beginning to take shots at each other, aren't they? Perhaps some of us have our own major uncertainties to face this year. And we're a little fearful as to how they're going to be resolved. Perhaps some of us have serious health issues to face, or family problems, or financial worries, or job uncertainties. What is going to happen all around us in the UK? Is there anyone in charge? Or are we at the mercy of uncontrollable circumstances? 
Well, that's what Isaiah addresses before we even get to verse 10. He starts by recording God calling the godless nations to be silent before him. They're so good at talking, aren't they? (laughs) And pontificating and acting as though they were in charge. And they need to know that whatever power or authority they have has been delegated to them. See that in verses 2 to 4? Who has stirred up one from the east, calling him in righteousness to his service? He hands nations over to him, subdues kings before him. He turns them to dust with his sword, to wind-blown chaff with his bow. He pursues them and moves on unscathed by a path his feet have not travelled before. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I the Lord, with the first of them and the last, I am he. See, the chapter begins by asking us to imagine God calling all the great ones of our world to appear before him, to prove, if they can, that they are the ones who shape history. And by verse 7, God has claimed that he is the one in charge of what each of them does and of when they do it. They're not the autonomous they like to think they are. It is God above who stirs them up to act. And it's he who removes them when they've done his bidding. But it hardly ever looks that way, does it? Our eyes may be on who will be prime minister after the general election next year. Or even who will win the presidential election in America. Or what Putin will get up to during the next 12 months. But is that where they should be looking? Are they the ones we should be shaking in fear about? Are they the real movers and shakers? Or is there an eternal I am whose bidding they do, even when they least think they are? What we don't realize is that as verses 5 to 7 show us, the leaders of this world order also live in fear. They don't know what to do when confronted with a new crisis. Oh yes, they build their alliances, verse 6. They tell each other, you know, everything's going to be all right, chin up. I'm intrigued by the superstition that abounds in our godless society, aren't you? I think it confirms Chesterton's claim that when a person stops believing in God, they don't believe uh, nothing They believe in anything. Isaiah makes hay with it all in verse 7, doesn't he? Here's where the godless turn. The metal maker encourages the goldsmith, and the one who smooths with the hammer spurs on the one who strikes with the anvil. One says of the welding, it is good, and the other nails down the idol so that it won't topple. It's laughable, isn't it, where people look for their security? for their help. For some 14 years I worked for a man who claimed to be an atheist who mocked my Christian faith. What did he put his trust in? Well, he had a ring on one of his fingers and that had a lucky stone in it. (laughs) That's what he trusted in. The idols of the nations are products of fear, but they're totally useless. They're utterly futile. 
The wise cannot retain their wisdom. The strong lose their strength as they age. The rich cannot take their wealth with them. And in none of these things can they find lasting peace and joy, can they? They try it every way they can. Think of the late Ernest Hemingway, for whom the bell tragically tolled. In spite of all his God-given ability with the pen, despite all the accolades that followed him, despite his four marriages, he took a shotgun and blew his head to bits. Fading is the world's best pleasure. All its boasted pomp and show, solid joys, lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Over against all that God says in verses 1 to 7, he starts verse 8 with the word, but. It's always good to highlight the Bible's buts, isn't it? For here he now turns... And he turns from what he is to all nations, their sovereign, though unrecognized ruler, and he turns to those he describes in these words. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you offspring of Abraham, my friend. Does that describe you? You may see a problem there if you weren't born Jewish, mightn't you? But you don't need to, for something has happened since Isaiah wrote his book. Jesus Christ has come to be the saviour of the world. And writing to a predominantly non-Jewish church in Galatia, Paul writes these words in chapter 3 and verses 7 to 9. He says, understand then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. And he ends the chapter by saying, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to to the promise. So if anyone says you shouldn't take verse 10 out of context as your text for the year because it wasn't written for you, well, you can tell them that you fit that verse completely through faith in the Lord Jesus. So if you are a fellow believer in heaven, in him, what does verse 9 say about how the living God relates to you? Look at it again. Here's God speaking to you. And he says, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I've chosen you and have not cast you off. As we start the new year, can we revel in what God has done for us? If we are Christians? He says, number one, I took you. Our God is not one of those useless idols of our age, is he? The variety who have to be nailed down in case they topple over. He came to us, far off as we were, and took us out of darkness and brought us into his wonderful light. He did it. Secondly, I called you. 
from being so far from him he called us. In chapter 1 of Isaiah, in verse 18, he describes that call. Come now, he says. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Thirdly, he says, I chose you. We didn't choose him, evidently. He says, I chose you. A few weeks ago, I was saying to David beforehand, I was conducting a Bible study uh, in prison, and uh, we just kicked off the letter to the Ephesians. And we got to verse 4, which talks about God having chosen his people from before he created the world. And a prisoner in the group suddenly called out, Wow! I thought I'd decided to follow Jesus. But it looks as though God got in first. (laughs) Well, how right he was. Number four, I have not cast you off. Isn't that wonderful? You You may have been cast off by someone. It happens, doesn't it, sadly? But we belong to a God who promises never, ever to go and leave us in the lurch. What a God he is who makes the promise of verse 10. Here, we finally got there, haven't we? You got half an hour to spare? No, you haven't. That's fair enough. But let's read that verse again. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See how we need to take those connections with what goes before. We need not fear because our God is the Lord of history. It doesn't just happen by charts. He orders the good stuff and the bad stuff. It all achieves his eternal plan Nothing that comes our way in 2024 will get in the way of him achieving his good and perfect will. So we need to take verses 1 to 9 seriously to know that we can claim verse 10 as written for us. That we are the people to whom God speaks it. And we need verses 1 to 9 to know the kind of commitment this God has made to us. We need that solid foundation on which verse 10 depends. What is it then that God promises us in verse 10? Why should we not fear as we look out on the uncertainties of the coming year? Well, the first thing the Christian needs to know is that they will never be alone through 2024. How does the Lord put it in verse 10? So do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. Some of us here today live alone. That has its own challenges, I guess. I haven't got there yet, but who knows when such a day might come. In our times of loneliness, we need to hear the voice of our beloved Lord saying verse 10a to us, don't we? God pledges never to leave you. The God of verse 9 took you, called you, claimed you, chose you, 
has not rejected you. He never will. And this God makes three pledges to his people in the back end of verse 10. The first is, I will strengthen you. Do you ever feel weak physically? Do you ever feel weak emotionally? Do you ever feel weak in your walk with God, knowing you're not the person you ought to be? Then here's a promise for you, isn't it? And if you don't know you're weak, you'll miss out on it. Flip for a moment to near the end of the previous chapter, chapter 40, verse 29. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall feel exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Paul the Apostle felt his weakness. We think of him as a great spiritual hero, don't we? But he knew himself better than we knew, know him. It seems that at one time God had knocked the stuffing out of him to save him from becoming proud of a spectacular spiritual experience that he had had. And he puts it like this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take the thorn in the flesh away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God isn't building a people of power, is he? He retains the power and he works his will through weak people like you and me. Yes, there are times when we long for God to say yes instead of no. We feel crushed at times by our load. We desperately want to give up. Life is too tough. And that increases with age, doesn't it? But he who travels with us says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. When I'm at my weakest, God is at his strongest. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. It's those who feel weak and vulnerable who experience most God's strengthening. It's not those who think they've got it together who know God best, but those who cry out to him daily. Secondly, he says, I will help you. Have you ever felt helpless? Ever felt unable to cope with the circumstances of your life? Our companion God says, I will help you. It's nice when we have Christian brothers and sisters who come to our aid, isn't it, to help us. But boy, when we listen to God say, I will help you, that's something different, isn't it? 
Look down at verse 14 for a minute of chapter 41. God is still speaking, and he says, Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Fear not, you worm. (laughs) Have you ever felt like a worm? Hmm? Helpless before the boots that are ready to squash you into the ground? What vulnerable creatures worms are, aren't they? I wonder if they ever suffer from an inferiority complex. (laughs) We may feel as helpless as worms at times, but we have a divine helper. He may or may not change the circumstances we're in, but he will transform us as we call on him for help. It is with confidence that we say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can mere mortals do to me. And thirdly, he promises, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The hand, the organ of personal enabling, isn't it? To grip, to grasp. The idols topple. The people tremble. But the Lord upholds his people. If he is for us, who can be against us? We sometimes sing these words, When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. Whatever storm may batter us this coming year, we can know that he will uphold us with his righteous right hand. So put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. Put your hand in the head of the man who calmed the sea. For he says, fear not, I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Father, thank you for such words. Words that come from the lips of one who cannot lie, who will never lead us up the garden path. One whose words are true, eternally true. Help us to put our hands into your great hands.
and know that we're never alone. We're never without help. We're never cast off. You are faithful and true through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.